Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. We were looking at the uh, various false views concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the last thing we finished up on was that there were five particular Greek words that were used relative to the second coming. And we looked at number five, erkamai, which is simply just the usual verb meaning to come. And it's spoken of whether Paul came or Titus came or wherever the case may be. And then we looked at the word phanero, something like that, which simply means to, be, to appear or to be, to be seen. And that Jesus showed himself when he appeared in his post-resurrection appearances. They saw him bodily, physically, in his glorified body. And that's what the word simply means. And uh, nothing secret about what I'm saying. There's nothing secret about any of the words that are relative to the coming. And then on the, uh, the long sheet that I gave you last week, some got blue and some got white, I put the other three words, apocalypsis and parousia and epiphania, and you'll notice that every one of them, uh, actually words that deal with the coming of the Lord, a being near, a presence, the parousia, and then apocalypsis is to take off the cover, to disclose or an unveiling, to take away the veil, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ or the manifestation, the unveiling of the Son of God or the sons of God. And so uh, in this sheet that you've given, because I need to move on here, you'll notice that I've underlined, and this is every reference in the second coming epistles, first and second Thessalonians, where the coming of Christ is in comfort, and Second Thessalonians, where the second coming of Christ is in judgment. That's the emphasis in the two epistles. And what I've done is taken them out of the Scripture and underlined every reference to the word coming or any of these three Greek, Greek words that are used in the uh, second coming epistles. So parousia, uh, meaning a being near or his presence, translated coming, is used in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 3, 13, 4, 15, 5, 23, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, 8 and 9. And I've underlined that so you can check the references and what Greek word is used and how the Greek word is used in the context, the verse context, the passage context, the chapter context. And the same with the word apocalypsis, uh, to disclose the unveiling, taking away the veil. And this Greek word is translated revealed in uh, one, two, three, four verses in the second coming epistles. So we've underlined that when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, unveiled from heaven with mighty angels. Nothing secret about that. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, and then going down to verse 3, the man of sin uh, be revealed, be unveiled. Now, we t we, now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, and then shall that w wicked be revealed, unveiled, taking away the veil. And then the word epiphania means a manifestation or appearance, and it's translated once as brightness. Nothing secret about that. And that's over in this verse here, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So, revealed brightness coming. You'll notice in verse 8, reveal brightness coming. The three Greek words are there, all relative to one and the same event. So my whole point in giving you a brief word study on that was to show that none of the words pertaining to the second coming 
refer to a secret coming or rapture, a secret rapture, seven years or 107 years before the Lord comes. So I hope that uh, I've given you enough information for you at least to look at what we're saying. Now, what I want to do tonight, and we're going to move reasonably quickly. It'd be lovely if I had a sheet. Does anybody have a sheet? I, I seem to run off extra sheets every week, and then somebody runs off with them. Thank you. I'll give you one later on. Are there extra people? How many people are here tonight that haven't been here other nights? <laughs> okay, because every night I'm running out sheets and I run off another 10 or 20 extra. Well, we're happy to have you here, so don't get a complex there, anything like that. Okay, I'll give you this afterwards. All right, now the, what, the area we want to deal with tonight is referring to the Lord Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Okay, I want you to turn over to, um, on our introductory remarks, uh, we'll come back to 1 Thessalonians 5 in due time, and so the whole emphasis tonight is, does Christ come back as a thief in the night? Who to? Are we looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night? And as we talked about last week, uh, the, the great film on thief in the night at least has frightened a lot of people in the kingdom, so I guess some wrong film accomplishes something. Let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to pick, uh, pick up with me verse 1 now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Paul starts off, and uh, as we've said previously, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians because after his teaching on the second coming of Christ, some of them felt that Christ would return back any moment, like today. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians to remind them and to correct them on some things and says, now listen, you got me wrong because some of them were lazy and not working. So, oh, well, Jesus is coming back any moment. Let's not uh, do any work. And I've seen this in the States where you had some of those so-called manifested sons of God running around in their glorified bodies in B.O. and uh, white robes and going out on mountains, not working, but waiting for Jesus to come any moment and predicting and then some fellow saying, Sending, send me your money, Jesus is coming any moment. My box number is 666 and uh, everything like that. And so it brings reproach on the coming of the Lord and so they need to read this epistle. All right, now 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Well, they mightn't have, but I think we do. Now, I want you to look with me for a moment at this times and seasons because we're dealing with the time of the coming of the Lord, the seasons and the events pertaining to that times and seasons. So why does Paul say, Of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now we'll come back to that. I want you to look at times and seasons. Matthew chapter, no, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's just after the book of Proverbs, I think. And just between Proverbs and the Song of Solomon, which is before Isaiah, which is before Revelation. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I've put the scriptures there because I like to encourage you to take down just a brief quote 
what that verse is saying. Okay, so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 it says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So we're looking at the purposes of God relative to the second coming and the writer says to everything there is a season. Now of the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't need that I write to you because I already told you when I was there. So to everything there's a season and there's a time to every purpose. That's why I've said several times we cannot hasten the coming of the Lord and we cannot postpone it. He came right on time the first time. Nobody could hasten it. Nobody could postpone it. He's going to come right on time the second time. Nobody's going to hasten it. Nobody's going to postpone it. So I don't agree with preachers that say, now if we'll do this and we'll do this, then Jesus will come back quicker. No, there's a time and a purpose. There's a time and a season to every purpose under the heaven. Go down to verse uh, 17 which says virtually the same thing. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. So that's an important scripture to make a brief uh, con uh, condensed note of. There's a time, there's a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. All right, let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. So we'll paraphrase a little bit from verses 1 through to 3. I'll put the references on your notes, but you can condense some thought from it. Okay, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees came, and tempting him, uh, desired that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. And we still say it. A red sky at night is the shepherd's delight. A red sky in the morning is the shepherd's warning. How many remember that Negro spiritual that we used to sing? Oh, you hypocrites. Sorry, I'm not you. I'm just reading the Bible here. Uh, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? It's not talking about the SDA paper. Can you not discern the signs of the times? And I think we have so many signs of the times around us. All right, the signs of the times. That's the expression I want you to pick up there. You can discern the natural signs of the sky and morning and evening, what it's going to be like, but can't you discern the signs of the time? All the things that were happening in that three and a half years, they were still as blind as bats to the first coming of Christ. And yet here we have so many numerous signs today relative to the second coming and some people are as blind as bats. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Jesus is with them in the post-resurrection period of 40 days and he's about to go back to heaven. And in verse 6 leading into when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And notice what Jesus said here. It looks as if it's contradicting Paul or Paul's contradicting Jesus. No. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you receive power and you be my witnesses. So at this time of his ascension, 
Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Now to everything there's a time and a season, to every purpose under heaven, we have to discern the signs of the times. And here Jesus said, it's not for you. And I believe what he's saying here, at the present moment, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. You're going to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, be my witnesses, start spreading the gospel of the kingdom, go and save souls and get the church built and I'll build the church. And, and later on I'm going to pick out two major men two major apostles and I'm going to give them the order of events, times and seasons. As we've already seen, John and Paul were the two men, the two apostles that were given the revelation concerning the times and the seasons. All right? So Paul says, now of the times and seasons, brethren, you don't need that I write to you. I already told you when I was with you, you know that the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night, the day of the Lord, but there's certain things got to happen before that. Now I want you to go over to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we move down our sheet here. Am I going too fast tonight? Just hands up if I am. Now I want you to listen carefully to 1 Thessalonians 5 as we continue here and then go to our next section here. So of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Keep that in mind. They shall not escape. Pray that you be worthy to escape. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of the light, and children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of salvation, for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now I want to make a statement here, and I'd like to encourage you to take it down, because something about writing notes, not just listening, I want you to pick up something on this language of creation, the language of redemption. Okay, I use it in hermeneutics a lot. We find this, I'll say it out and then uh, try and condense it here. We find that the New Testament writers take the language of creation and the language of creation becomes the language of redemption, which is, and you can finish this part, which is God's secret code for either concealing, or revealing truth according to the attitude of the listener. Okay, write that down. Okay, I'll say it again and you can condense it. The New Testament writers take the language of creation, which you've got on your notes there, which becomes the language of redemption, which is God's secret code. Okay, God's secret code, what for? For either concealing or revealing truth so it's God's secret code for either concealing or revealing truth according to the attitude of the listener so I'll just say that last part again so the language of creation becomes a language of redemption which is God's secret code for either concealing or revealing truth according to the attitude of the listener now I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1 and I want you to hold one finger in Genesis chapter 1 one finger in 1 Thessalonians 5 
and the other two fingers right. Now as we look at uh, what Paul is doing here, and here you'll have to fill in on your notes here, on one side here we have what I've called the language of redemption, okay? Language of redemption. And here on this other side we have creation. Now, what does Paul do? Where does Paul get this from? Uh, the language of creation. Now when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we find in verses 1 through to 5, which I've put on your notes here, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now let's pick up some main points here in creation. All right, let's pick it up here. First of all, we have the creation of the earth. Okay, earth's creation. And we find that there is now darkness upon the face of the deep. Darkness. And in the midst of the darkness, we find everything is without form and void, and we find the Spirit of Elohim, the Spirit of God, moved. God moving by His Spirit. God is moving by His Spirit. The Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep, and when the Spirit of God moved in the midst of the chaotic darkness, what happens? God said, ten times in this chapter, God said, because ten is the number of law and order. God said, God said, God said, God said, ten times. So God's bringing order out of chaos, light out of darkness, uh, fruitfulness out of barrenness. So earth creation, darkness, Spirit of God moving, God said. The coming of the Word, as we've said before, first the Spirit then the word. Then the first thing that God said was, number five here, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light. Now notice the pattern that happens here. We have division. God divided. So up here God divided. We have division. First use of the word division and God divided the light from the darkness. God divided the light from the darkness and God named both these elements, whatever we call them, and God called, he named the light day and he named the darkness night. All right, now look at the pattern here. We go, let's go back to Thessalonians. We go back to Thessalonians. So much there. All right, we go back to Thessalonians. Now, what is Paul doing? He's taking in Thessalonians the language of creation which becomes the language of redemption. And he's setting out virtually in this epistle because here we can correspond earth with man. In the beginning, or way back there, God created man. And through the fall, darkness came upon the deep within. Man is in the kingdom of darkness. And when the coming of the gospel came to the Thessalonians, as Paul said in the early chapters, and we've just majored on eschatology here, the Spirit of God moved upon the Thessalonians. The Spirit of God moving, convicting, 
Paul says, when we came to you in Thessalonica and we preached the gospel and the Spirit of God moved upon you, God said, the coming of the gospel to them, the word of the gospel. What happened? Division in Thessalonica. There was division in the synagogue of the Jews, division. And now we have in Thessalonica, as throughout the whole world, because the principle here in creation is the same in redemption, we have those who are of the kingdom of light and those who are the kingdom of darkness, two kingdoms. And so what does Paul say using the language of creation which becomes the language of redemption? Uh, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you because you know that the day of the Lord cometh a thief in the night. And I've asked this question before. How many are looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night? Hands up. No hands. How many are scared to put your hands, hands up? If you're looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness. When I heard a minister say that, I, I lost every second blessing I'd ever got. Because I just used to read verse 1 and 2. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. There it is, black and white. But why didn't I read verse 4? I never did. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief so if you're looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night you're in darkness I'm not looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night now let me ask you a question how many believe Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night hands up come on uh, I've got both hands up okay both feet okay but how many are looking for Jesus to come to you as a thief in the night I'm not in darkness now look what he says, taking the language of creation. So he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of what? Light. And what else? The children of the? Where did he get that from? Paul has gone right back to the book of Genesis. Is that right? I'm letting Scripture interpret Scripture. He's gone right back to Genesis. You're children of the light. You're children of the day. We are not of the what? of the night, nor of? Now it's just that simple. Today people are either in the kingdom of darkness and they are of the night, or they're either in the kingdom of light and we're of the day. I'm in the kingdom of light, aren't you? How many are glad for that tonight? I'm a child of the day. Now, let me just, while we're in Thessalonians, what are characteristics of these two kingdoms? Because this all has to do with the thief-like coming at the moment. Okay, characteristics, verse 6. Therefore let us not what? What's your word? Sleep. Oh, well where do you sleep? Okay, let us not sleep as do others, but let us... Okay, opposite to sleeping is watch. And be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be what? Drunken. Two characteristics of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the night, sleep and drunkenness. But on the characteristics of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the day, watch and be sober. And by the way, the word sober means to be a disciplined mind. And I think a lot of people need to discipline their minds today with a battle for the mind. So there's our characteristics. So what, what have I said? that Paul is going back and he's taking the language of creation which becomes the language of redemption 
God's secret code for either concealing or revealing truth according to the attitude of the listener. Let's move on. Now, the next part of our study, and uh, it looks like you're going to have to bring your sheets back for next week, I've put down several questions that I want us to sort of uh, go through together. And these are the questions here. A, do the scriptures teach that Christ will come as a thief in the night? B, how and for what does a thief come? C, to whom will Christ come as a thief in the night? D, what happens to the unprepared believer? And E, what practical preparation should a believer make in order not to be caught unawares? Uh, as you see, we're not going to be able to get through all this tonight. I want us to go to question A, and that's the first thing we look at here. Now, as I said before, and uh, though I might come on heavy and authoritarian and all the rest of it here, hope you don't feel that in my spirit. I used to teach that Jesus would come as a thief in the night and I told you about my wife and I when I was, quote, the pastor and she was the pianist and we'd go down in Bendigo and preach every Sunday, Jesus is coming back any moment, the Antichrist will get you and you'll get the mark of the beast, 666, and we wouldn't turn up next Sunday, but neither did Jesus. And that's... Uh, Oh, I'm frightened to say how many years ago and everything like that. We went through all that. Yeah. And I used to teach on the thief like coming that he was going to come seven years as a, uh, in a secret rapture and snatch us all out, everything like that. Well, since then I've learned a lot more and the sins of ignorance and those great anointings I had on my preaching of ignorance, God has winked at and pardoned. I'm glad for that. I have put down on your notes every reference in the New Testament to Jesus coming as a thief in the night. So I would like you to go through these scriptures with me and I want you to put down a brief quote because there's two major things I want you to pick up here. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24. So remember I've done the complete mention principle, every reference to Jesus coming as a thief in the night. So we're looking at our first question here. A, do the scriptures teach that Christ will come as a thief in the night? Matthew chapter 24 and verses 42 to 44. And if you can keep these things in mind with a thousand and one other things, uh, we'll pull it all together at the end of next week for your answers on the back of the sheet there. Okay, uh, Matthew 24 and verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And may I throw this in while we're here. In verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? And after asking that question, Matthew 25, which belongs so strictly to Matthew 24, Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, deal with the wise 
and foolish virgins. And Matthew 25, verses 14 through to 30, deal with the faithful or slothful servant. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? So he gives a parableness, a parableness, a parable on faithfulness and slothfulness to illustrate that. And he gives a parable on wise and foolish virgins to illustrate that. All to do with his coming. These parables are strictly second coming parables. More applicable to the generation you and I are living in than any previous generation. That's why the emphasis is on Urkamai. Coming, 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 coming. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like. When? Then. In the days of his coming. See? Most people miss it. All right, let's go to, uh, so verse 43 is, he would have, if, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come. Let's go over to Luke chapter 12. Let's try and finish at least this section. Luke chapter 12 and verses 35 to 40, which repeat basically the same. 35 to 40, let your lights uh, be girded about your loins be girded about, pardon me, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he shall return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet him or come forth and serve them. And if he shall come, in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and have not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And Peter says, Lord, are you speaking this parable unto us, or to all? Let's go to... Second Peter, I've already given you uh, second, uh, First Thessalonians 5. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. Because I know some, uh, most of us come from various eschatological backgrounds and sympathetic eschatology and so forth. And we might be treading on your eschatological corns that need healing. So I want you to see it. It's been in your Bible for 2,000 years. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. I want you to note that sentence. Day of the Lord, come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, which I've given you. Day of the Lord, come as a thief in the night. I'll tell you why in a moment. Our last two references to the thief in the night coming. Every reference is here. Revelation chapter 3. And when we pick this up next week, it's quite a significant thing, but I'll just throw the seed thought into your mind. He's writing to a church. The church at Sardis. He's not writing to the unbeliever now. And as I said, we'll pick this up next week. He's writing to the church. And so he says... Verse 3, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Writing to a church now. If therefore you do not watch, I will come on you as a thief, 
When we take up something, what happened in Sardis next week, it's the most significant epistle. If therefore you do not watch, I will come on you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon thee. How many believe in the law of opposites? How many believe I'm scripturally sound and safe to read this? That if I do watch, he will not come to me as a thief, and I will know at least the times and the seasons, not the hour or the day, but I will know the times and seasons. Is that right? By the law of opposites? But if I don't watch, he will come on me as a thief. Oh, believer, a charismatic Pentecostal, oh, and I won't know. When we look at who he's going to come to as a thief in the night, that's going to be very significant. All right, our last reference, Revelation 16. I hope you're enjoying this. Amen? I hope it's putting the fear of God into you. <laughs> it does me, I can assure you. So, Lord, I want to be ready. Okay, Revelation 16, the last reference to Christ coming as a thief. Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And notice this is all to do with the battle of Armageddon. When that happens, I'm getting out of it. And he gathered them into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Coming as a thief. Now I want you to pick up two things in your notes there. In the five references I've given you, one, two, three, four, six references I've given you, there are two particular expressions used. First of all, Now, this is what we'll have to finish on. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Now, it's going to be important to keep this in mind, as I said, with a hundred and one other things, because when Paul says, Brethren, that day will not come except this order of events take place. What day? The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. And then number two, Jesus now they're connected, of course. Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night. All those references there speak either of the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. What day? The day of the Lord. And Jesus himself coming as a thief in the night. So a day is going to come as a thief in the night and a person is going to come as a thief in the night. What's the answer to our first question then? Do the scriptures teach that Christ will come as a thief in the night? The answer is yes everybody convinced on that the answer is yes I do believe Christ is going to come as a thief in the night we'll look at who for next week come back next week for this exciting episode we hope you enjoyed today's teaching be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses, including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.